0: Luke chapter 2, the sermon will be on verses 8 through 14, but I will be reading verses 1 through 14. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. We don't have to live long in this world to realize that it is dark. When I say dark, I don't mean it to be literal. I mean that it is filled with evil and sin. There is spiritual darkness and a lack of self-awareness. You can say that for the people of God, it has been a dark world for thousands of years, especially in these days when a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It is ironic how this passage begins with a decree from a corrupt and worldly king when speaking of the fulfillment of a decree that God established before the foundation of the world and that is the birth of our true king. It is ironic indeed. The name Augustus means venerable or majestic and how ironic that he is mentioned right before the one who is truly venerable and majestic. But it only gets more ironic as Joseph and Mary who was with Child went up from Nazareth to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, to be registered because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And then when the time had come, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. How ironic. The true majestic one. The one who deserves all the riches and the palaces of the world. The one whom the angel Gabriel announced to Mary. The one who she will conceive will be great. And we will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This same baby will be wrapped in swaddling cloths as he was born to a common, average family and was laid in a manger. He wasn't wrapped in fine linens or princely garments. He was not laid in a royal crib, nor did he have an earthly throne prepared for his arrival. Instead, he was born where animals would lay and feed just imagine the scent of humiliation in that major but here the prophecy is fulfilled the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone As the people of God are surrounded by darkness in this manger, there is a baby born to a humble family through humble means, who is the light of the world. And around the same time, the light shone again in the same region where there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Notice, there are a few things going on here. The angel of the Lord appears to lowly shepherds. He, he didn't appear to the rulers of the world, nor to the king, nor to the elites of society, not even to the religious leaders of the time. No, the angel appears To the lowest of the low, a group of shepherds attending their flock by night. And what a difficult and dirty job it is. But this would confirm what Paul said. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And what Mary sang in her Magnificat. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Often when God manifests himself in a visible form in the Old Testament, it is through the angel of the Lord. And he does this for our sake. For our sake, he creates something to mediate his presence. Why? Because we can't see God with our eyes and live. And we wouldn't be able to stand in His presence. We would probably evaporate. But even with an angel as one to mediate His presence, His presence is still seen and felt as the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The glory of the Lord or the Shekinah glory is described as a cloud or a fire. But in this case, it is described as a great light. As we know from the words of Paul, that God dwells in unapproachable light. And the glory of the Lord gives light to the city of heavenly Jerusalem. That is why it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. And whenever the glory of the Lord is manifested, people are blinded, or they fall to their knees, or they drop as if they are dead. And there is fear. When God makes his presence known and visible through angels and this bright light shines and surrounds these shepherds, the natural reaction is fear. As it says, they were filled with great fear. And it's not just, oh, I'm afraid of heights, or I'm afraid of dying. It is a fear that you would wish you were never born to begin with. That is the fear that everyone should feel in the presence of God. The only thing you would think of doing is to hide your very existence even though you know you can't. Because you see, the angels forever worship before God's throne and they are God's heavenly emissaries. They represent God Himself as they do His heavenly bidding on earth. They communicate messages directly from the throne of God. When they speak, it is to be received as if God is speaking. And in the Gospel of Luke, the angels are the first to proclaim the Gospel directly from God Himself. Since it was God Himself who first proclaimed the Gospel... In the Garden of Eden. After the fall that the offspring of Eve will one day bruise the head of the serpent. And it is in this occasion of this offspring's coming that the angels came to these lowly shepherds. So as they were quaking in their boots or sandals, a message is given to them from the throne room of God. The first two words that come from the angel sets the tone for the entire situation. It sets the tone for the entire message they have to proclaim. He says, fear not. These are words of comfort. These are words that in the most awesome Alarming and devastating experience we could ever imagine being surrounded by the glory of God, these words would fill anyone with hope. Fear not, take a breath, don't pass out just yet. I never personally counted, but it's, it is said that these two words and some variation occur. 365 times in the Bible. Think of all the times that Jesus says it to his disciples, like when they saw him walking on water, or when John sees Jesus for the first time in Revelation and fell at his feet as though dead. Jesus said to him, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. The angel, much like Jesus, says, fear not. And he goes on to explain why they shouldn't fear. He says, for behold, I bring you good news. And this message of good news is both announced as well as sung in a praise of exaltation. This good news is described here in three ways. It is good news of great joy, good news of a Savior, and good news of peace. First, the angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel, the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Here is the free offer. Of the gospel, given not only to the shepherds and not only for the Jews, but it will be for all the people. This message is for all the world to hear because it is good news for all people. And this good news is not of great fear, uh, as they were feeling, but it is of great joy. As the shepherds were trembling in fear, and as the world lay in darkness and sin, This announcement is to bring great joy to sinners. Sinners who have been oppressed by their own sin. This news even reaches to the ends of the earth and drew the unlikely visitors such as the Magi as they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Because while in this world, there is no joy. Look at the world around us. It seems to be falling apart. There is hatred, violence, anxiety, depression. There is thievery, disobedience to parents, ungratefulness, deceit, adultery, slander, murder, both within and out of the womb. There is idolatry, using the Lord's name in vain. There is covetousness, meaning you're always craving or wanting something that is not yours. But this is what the world says we should indulge in. Because they will tell you, and they are convinced, that through these means, the world is full of joy. But it is a superficial joy. It is a surface level joy. It is a joy that finds its roots in sin. It it finds its roots in all of us. Because sinners love to sin. There is the joy of transgressing the law of God. And then boasting about it. There is the joy Of indulging in our own flesh. And whatever entices us, we give in to. There is this joy that is fleeting and it is all passing away. Slipping through our hands. Yet we always chase it. Think of the love of money. And what people do for money. Money. I'm not just speaking about uh, desperate poor people. I'm also speaking of those who already have everything and still want more. There is a constant wanting and trying to fill life with superficial joys. We fill our lives with false hopes of happiness. Like, oh, it would be nice to pay off all my bills and my debts. Or to be completely healthy or even young again. Oh, if I can only go back in time, things would be different. Would they really? But these surface level joys can only go on for so long before it is all but darkness and grief. Our bodies can only consume so much junk food for so long before it crashes. It's funny how kids don't think so. (laughs) but if we are to compare the junk that we constantly seek after and apply that same principle, would we realize that God is the only one who can provide that which brings true, lasting, and great joy? That is the essence Of this proclamation that the angel is announcing here. He is saying you are in darkness, sin and misery. But behold. I bring you good news of great joy. We need joy at this moment, don't we? We can all use a bit of joy. But this joy is not earthly It comes from heaven. It comes from God. So it makes it truly good news of great joy. Why? Because secondly, this is good news of a Savior. The angel quotes part of the prophecy found in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. When the prophecy says to us, it is speaking of the house of David or Judah. For to Judah a child is born. But here the angel includes these lowly shepherds to say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior. Like the other prophecy says, O Bethlehem Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days, that is, eternity. And this eternal ruler is to be a savior. Not Caesar Augustus, who was often referred to as a savior, but this one is going to be the eternal savior Of all people. And they shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All the misery and darkness that the people of God were surrounded by was due to the reality of sin. Sin entered the world and destroyed all hope of life and joy. But this Savior will come to restore hope, love, and joy. He will deliver his people from their bondage to sin and Satan and save them now and forevermore. Because that is the problem with the world. The problems of the world are not rooted in intellectual incapability. It's not rooted in just mere ignorance or lack of knowledge. It is not rooted in just making the right or wrong decisions. Neither in the world or for ourselves even. The problems of the world are not going to be fixed by a self-exalted ruler or a democratically appointed leader. The problems of the world are not going to be fixed by mere pragmatism. The problems of the world are rooted in sin. Our problem. Oftentimes, when we talk about the problems of the world, we're often looking at other people. You want to see the problem of the world face to face? Look in the mirror. The problems of the world is sin. It's rooted in our own sin, our own personal sin, even as Christians. Sin is attached to everything we do. Which calls for a Savior. One Savior of the world. Savior is the first three titles this angel announces of the one who is born on this day in the city of David. In the Old Testament... This title of Savior or Deliverer is spoken of the Messiah in the line of David. But it is most often referred to God himself. So the angel combines both into one to describe this Savior who is Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. The Lord who throughout chapter 1 of Luke refers to God. So this Savior is both Christ and the Lord our God. So the substance of the Old Testament, the substance of Old Testament types and shadows, has arrived as the Savior is born. Imagine what they were thinking at this moment. I know what I would have been thinking to myself. God himself has come in the flesh. He was born and his angel came to me and told me about his coming. Am I invited to the celebration? Where will the parade take place? Will we be allowed to enter the palace? No. There is no palace not here on earth at, on earth at least but there is a sign from heaven the same sign given to the house of david in isaiah 7 therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son he told them their sign he said the exalted one the king of creation the one who deserves all glory Honor and power. He will be where you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, cheap cloths, and lying in a manger. It is not a palace. There will be no throne or crib made of gold. There will be hay. There will be animals. There will be a manger where those animals eat. And at least they don't have to worry about what they have to wear. Our God took on flesh and entered into a, in a state of humiliation. He'd emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. When we think of the word humiliation because of the culture around us and maybe how we were raised, don't humiliate yourself. We think of negative connotations. And when we think of the fact that Christ entered into the beginning of his humiliation at this point, we forget that it was for good, it was for our good. Because when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. For he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became a child so that we may become God's children. And also, we forget that God was not obligated to humble himself for our sake. We made our beds, we dug our ditches and our graves, but our Savior came to lay in them for us. He came to suffer and experience the human limitations of even a baby. Imagine that. It's something we can never comprehend. The immutable, changeless, and all-powerful God takes on mutable flesh who had to be carried, fed, changed, washed, and clothed as a powerless infant. It's unimaginable. It makes you want to say with Paul, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You can never explain it. Though he was born in such a low estate, there was a choir of thousands who sang a song of praise. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Imagine what the shepherds were experiencing at this point. There's no earthly parade, no earthly celebration at an earthly palace, but there is a celebration in the heavenly palace coming from the heavenly throne which the sights and sounds would have been greater than any choir or any celebration we've ever seen on earth. And they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So thirdly and finally, this is good news of peace. It is to God's glory that they sing. And they would have sung to God's glory. Even if he chose not to do anything for man. And allow man to perish. But as I continue to say and always say. A salvation brings glory to God. And the angels rejoice over God's plan. Of the salvation of men. Because Jesus' life. Death. Death. And resurrection will bring glory to God. I didn't want to make this a discussion about election. Though that is obviously here. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know exactly who the elect is. uh, Whom he is pleased with. Uh, We know in this text he was pleased to visit these poor lowly shepherds. Nor do we know the exact number of the elect. That is a secret to God alone. But what we know from this text is that it is about God. It is about His glory. And it is about the good of His people. God is a loving God. Do not allow the world to distract you from that truth. He is loving and gracious. While the world will say he is unfair and how could he send people to hell? Well, the real question is, how could we offend and sin against a holy and gracious and all compassionate loving God? He has all the rights within Himself to allow us to live in misery, sin, and darkness, and then perish for eternity. But instead, He shined a light. He shined a light in Bethlehem 2,000 plus years ago. And He brought peace to men. And Jesus confirms this when He said to His disciples, and He says to us, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And He overcame the world for us. Do you have this peace? Because this is the peace that God has brought to men. That is peace with God. In Christ you are no longer His enemies. Now this peace doesn't mean that you'll never have turmoil or troubles. That you'll never suffer. That you'll never feel anxious. That you'll never be bothered by the way things are in this world. It doesn't mean that you'll never lose a loved one close to you. It doesn't mean there will never be wars in this world whatever is going on you have peace with God through Jesus Christ and Christ accomplished that peace for us on a cross as he died to bring us peace with God this is truly good news it is good news of great joy it is good news of a savior who brings good news of peace You will hear a lot of good news in your life. The good news of a baby on the way. The good news that the cyst wasn't cancerous. The good news that the cancer is gone. But this is the most important and the greatest news you'll ever hear in your life. It is the best news that anyone can offer. For unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He has been given to you, and now you are his, and he is yours forevermore. Amen.